You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. You can open them up to Exodus chapter 15 and 16. We're back in the book of Exodus. My name's Stan, one of the pastors on staff here. And so last week we took a break from the Lent talk and we, uh, from Exodus, and we talked about Lent and kind of redefined it. And I don't know um, how that went in your household this week, but for us it meant a lot less cell phone time and uh, family devos had some more direction. In fact, my four-year-old had the, the memory verse down before I did, and so it's encouraging, guys. I, I do want us as a church to take the opportunity uh, leading up to Easter to really pursue God. And so um, I'm going to ask you a few questions this morning. If you take notes, you can write your answers down to these. Um, if not, you can just think about them in your head. But here's the question as you're opening up to Exodus. And you can write this in small print, but the question is, how much money do you make in a given year? Just put your salary. Some of you are like, I don't know, what's $8.50 an hour times whatever? Okay, just guess. Here's the the follow-up question to that right next to it is, what do you wish you made in a year? See, I'm I'm reeling you in here. All right, what's your salary? It's like, what do you wish that you kind of had for a salary? Here's another one, kind of getting at the same thing. What year of car do you drive? Right? What year of car do you wish you drove? Right? Here's here's another one that kind of gets after the same thing. You think of Thanksgiving meal, right? I don't know where you go for Thanksgiving to celebrate, but you think this is one of the biggest feasts probably you have all year. How long after the Thanksgiving meal, before you have room enough for another slice of pie. Maybe you measure that in minutes, maybe it's hours, but but you know what I'm talking about, like that feeling where you're like, I will never eat again. And how many hours later you're like, you know, I can go for a slice of pie. You know, like, you write that down, how long before you're ready for a slice of pie? This quiz, I think, begins to reveal something about the human condition. Despite our best efforts, we are not easily satisfied. This reality that you could always use more money, there's newer things, and and even after a great feast, you're going to be looking for more. And so, you guys have seen this a number of times, but I adapted it. Yeah, we're back to the buckets, okay, so work with me here. It's this idea, we're going to elaborate on this via the text, but it's this idea the human condition is like this cup, and I had Nathan Wise help me put a few holes in it, but it's this idea that it doesn't matter, you keep taking it in but it just keeps leaking out. Does that make sense that, that there's always, a, because of our condition of brokenness that is leaking, this thing never stays full. Like, it's never enough for us, and there's always this need for the next thing, more money, more food, whatever it is. This is a condition of kind of the, the human being that there's a brokenness that leads to us needing more and more and more. Unless... Somebody here is like, actually, I don't get hungry anymore, right? If that's you, please tell me that meal plan because I would need to get on that. We always need more, want more. I'm saying that's just a reality of the human heart. And so we're going to see in our text what God would say about that. And so, again, you should be in Exodus. If you look before this, we just covered chapter 14. Luke taught on that. And this is where they cross the Red Sea. And I don't doing some research just so you understand what happened 
right? All of, all of Israel, you're talking two to three million people are butted up against the sea. Here comes Pharaoh and all of his army and they are gonna pursue them and take over them. God kind of puts a wall between them and then God parts the Red Sea. I, I was just doing some figures this morning. When you think of like parting the Red Sea, I don't know if you're like, think of like a Missouri River or something like that. Let me frame it in a little bit different for you. I was like, how big is the Red Sea? In Missouri, Missouri is 69,000 square miles of land. The Red Sea measures 169,000 square miles, right? Where you're talking 100,000 miles more surface area in the Red Sea than there is in the whole state of Missouri. At the longest or the widest part, the, the, the length of the Red Sea is about 1,400 miles, and the widest part of the sea is 220 miles wide. Okay, so where at they cross, there's some debate, but, but they're not jumping through a puddle, right? God is parting this thing. Oh, in the depth of it, <laughs> the average depth in the Red Sea is 1,608 feet. Some places, it's like 7,000 plus square, like our feet deep. You're talking, it's got some depth. And so when they put some, when God goes through and parts this thing and puts walls of water on either side, we're talking this is incredible, miraculous. And so God parted the sea. They walk through it. And as you remember from a couple weeks ago, Israel gets through it. Here's Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army coming through it. And then the sea walls come back over them and drown their horse and chariots and, and, and the whole army. And so what takes place is, is Exodus 15 right after that. And what happens is, is they just break out and sung. Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed, triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation this is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. In verse 14, he goes and said, The peoples have heard, and they tremble. In verse 16, Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. There is still as stone. And he goes on in verse 19, For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And Miriam the prophetess and the, sis, uh, the sister of Aaron took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out with her with tambourines and dancing and Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Okay, time out. Do you, do you get the scene that is taking place, right? They, they are across the sea on dry land I don't know if at this point, like, sorry, a little graphic, but like Egyptians like floating, you know, to the edge and they break out in song. And it's not like a, like a kind of a kumbaya, like chill song. I mean, he's got tambourine, right? If you break out a tambourine, you're ready to party. And so they, who's singing it? It's Moses, it's Miriam. And it, seemingly all of Israel is singing this song. It reminds me and it's been a while for us Mizzou fans, but it's sporting events, right? When you like are victorious, uh, there's just like this song. I think soccer, for some reason, these fans have got it down better than anybody. Like they're just up there in the stands, like partying with their team, like, oh, 
nobody watches soccer. Okay, but, but there's an excitement. They're, they're, they're victorious. God is victorious, and they're singing this song, and, and if they would have put out like the Christian WOW CD, like this would have made it. This would have made it. Only the really Bible people know what I'm talking about, like the WOW CDs. But this song comes up again, guys, in Revelation 15. I think we got the slide, but here the angels are singing. They're standing beside the sea of glass with harps of, of God in their hands, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, uh, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord uh, God the Almighty. So they're singing the song of Moses clear at the end of Scripture in Revelation. And here they are with, with satisfied hearts. They've trusted God. They've seen his hand move in a mighty way. And you would think that after crossing through on dry land, that they would have just said, you know what, Lord, we trust you. We are just going to march right into the promised land. We're following you. This is amazing. But that's not what happened. Because apparently the, the singing stopped shortly thereafter. And you continue in chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went to the wilderness of Shur, and there they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Again, if you're taking notes, underline that. Three days, three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, they named it Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? You understand the condition of the human heart? Like, Israel, here they are. It's like really good Chinese food. The best Chinese food, you're hungry three hours later. Am I right? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Here they are, seemingly three day journey into this thing, and they start grumbling. You get to seeing two, three million people. Sure wish we had some water, Moses. <laughs> what? Moses is like, what? really? Like me? <laughs> like, this, this is incredible when you look at the narrative. And, and, and I can only imagine Moses is like, what did I do? Like, how am I to blame? And it just comes up. If you're in leadership or you're over people, it's going to happen that they're going to direct their frustration. Ultimately, Israel's frustration is with God, but they just take it to this tangible source, which is Moses, and they take out their frustration on him. At which point I'm like, don't shoot the messenger. Like, but here he is in verse 25. As they grumble, he, Moses, cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Just get this image of Moses frustrated, just crying out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log. As I was studying this, I find that kind of ironic. The last time God gave him a stick to throw down, it became a snake. Like, you can imagine if, like, that prayer is like, Lord, what do I do? The water, it's bitter. And God's like, take that log. Like, can you imagine, like, carrying it over? You're like, getting ready to throw it down. Like, the last thing turned into a snake. You're like, what's this going to be? Like, you throw it in and step back. And you're like, is it going to be an alligator? Like, what's, what's going to happen? throws it in, in the water that was once bitter turns sweet. We don't have any more kind of commentary than that. I don't know if it was like mossy, stagnant water or what bitter water looks like. 
And I don't even know what sweet water looks like. I'm just envisioning it in my head like some farm pond of like stale, bitter water and then throws it in and it becomes a big old pool of Sprite. You know what I'm talking about? Like when I think sweet water, I think just bubbly carbonated Sprite. Uh, it doesn't say that, but it does say bitter water that was unable to be uh, drank to sweet water. And then in verse 25, he continues on the heels of that. Then the Lord made for them a statute and rule. He tested them saying, if you would diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to the commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. I'll say that again. He tells them, I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam where there are 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. What's God saying here? He's saying, listen to me, look at me, obey me. And if you're doing that, you don't have to worry. For I'm the Lord, your healer. Saying, if you would just obey me, if you would just listen to me, I will take care of you. That's kind of the condition that, that comes with that. And then he gives him, do you, please don't miss these little subtleties in, in verse 27. And then he has them camp out where there's 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. Guys, they're in the wilderness. And God's like, here's your wilderness retreat. <laughs> palm trees, springs of water, and hanging out. And you would think then at this point, after God just did this again, they grumbled and God provides. Surely at this point, as they're next to the resort, God's going to be like, okay, let's go to the promised land. Got it. We're going to follow you. It doesn't happen. Again, what do we learn about humans here? Chapter 16. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Time out. <laughs> Some people are shaking their head like, no, -uh, no, they didn't. Yeah, they did. It's recorded in the scripture. They are back to complaining. And guys, to review they were there in Egypt when they saw God bring about these plagues on the Egyptians. They were there when the, the sea was parted. They saw the, the bitter water made sweet. And again, I got this on the text for the screen, Exodus 13. And the Lord went before them uh, by day in a pillar of the cloud, leading them along the way. In the night, the pillar of fire that gave them light. Uh, I'm losing my notes here that they might travel by day and by night in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night and uh, by, did not depart from the, the people, right? God is going before him. What he is saying in Exodus 13 is there is this pillar of cloud that leads them and it's a cloud at day and at night it's a pillar of fire and they can travel. So they are grumbling right now as they are following this, this presence of God that's revealed in a cloud. They're following the cloud as it's kind of moving before them. But God is there, and they've seen all these things. And you would think, man, if you've seen all these things, and, and you have, in some regards, the presence of God, 
Really? You're going to start complaining? And what are they saying? We're all going to die out here because of hunger. What happened? What happened? Israel was only satisfied with what God did, but not satisfied with who God was. They were more caught up in the what God was doing for them rather than who. See, they needed these blessings, signs, and wonders. They were temporary satisfaction. And Christians, you guys have perhaps been here. Everyone wants this spiritual mountaintop high experience. And what we observe from Scripture, when your faith is anchored in those experiences, when it's anchored in those signs, those wonders, and the blessings, then when those leave, it leaves you at this low. (laughs) For those that have been to, like, camps, you know, this camp high, it's a phrase that people use. You go to camp, you experience God, you have this great worship, you have this great fellowship, and then eight days later, you're at home and you're back to your normal self. What's happening What's the cycle that's happening and what's happening in the cycle that we see played out in scripture is they're more caught up with what God is doing versus who God is. And when what you're actually in love with is the what God can do, then you need God to keep doing more and more and more versus who God is. Does that make sense? And so the relationship is broken because they're more concerned about the gifts rather than the gift giver. And don't get me wrong, they would do well to remember what God has done. Those are real things. But if that's where their satisfaction is found in what God's done versus who he is, and that's us, we like Israel are going to constantly need more signs, more wonders, more bread, more meat. See, Israel was more concerned with the what, in this case, and the condition of their stomachs rather than the condition of their souls. And so in verse, uh, you see, they say, Uh, You're going to kill us with hunger. I wish God would have killed us in Egypt. You know where we had our pots full of meat is what they're saying? It's like, time out. I think you're remembering Egypt wrong. You were enslaved there with like forced labor for 400 years. Something about you making bricks and building cities for them. Like, do you remember the part in Egypt where Pharaoh required you to take your baby boys and throw them into the Nile? Isn't it funny how a little bit of trial can bring out, like, you just remember things wrong? They said, oh, if only we were back in Egypt where we had our pots full of meat. Really? I don't think that was the case. But no less, Israel is hungry and they are angry. We've established a word for that. It's called hangry, right? They are, they are mad, and they are hungry, and they want something. And so they complain and grumble against Moses and Aaron, to which, again, those guys are like, okay, really? Verse 6, so Moses and Aaron said to all the people, at evening you shall know that it, it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Again, they, they, they're pushing them. They're revealing this is who God is. This is who God is. Because he has heard the grumbling against the Lord, for what are we that you grumble against us? Verse 7, he says, and Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. 
In verse 13, he continues. We see this promise fulfilled. And in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay on the ground. And when the dew was gone, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when people saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Time out. Let's talk about, let's talk about the quail first. So grew up on a farm. We actually started a hunting club. My dad asked me my freshman year, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm like, be a professional hunter and fisherman, have my own TV show. He said, great, we'll start a hunting club. That's how we worked in our house. And so what that meant was we raised a bunch of pheasants and quail and turned them out and people would come and they would pay to go hunting with us. And we would raise about 3,000-ish pheasants a year and a couple thousand quail. We'd get these quail in, we'd go pick them up. They're day-old chicks, right? And you'd raise them to maturity. And when you got them as chicks, they were like the size of a bumblebee. I mean, just, I mean, you could fit a thousand quail like in a circle like this. They're just tiny. And then they'd grow up to be like a, like a softball with wings, man. They were just, they were pretty sweet little birds. And they tasted great. They flew. They were a ton of fun for the guys. And so we'd raise them and we'd turn them out. And I'm going here to, to illustrate quail. When we would go to catch them, we had this pretty narrow flight pen. And it was, you imagine like a circus tent, only it was more like the soccer netting and see-through stuff. And so you would go, and it wasn't too terribly wide and a little bit long so they could stretch their wings and learn to fly. You would go in there to catch these quail. You would have a 1,000 of them in the pen. You're like, okay, we're going to turn out 50 of them today. So you would take like a, a dip net that you would use for fishing, a little bit finer, and you would walk in there. <laughs> I love like sending the new people in. I'm like, go catch some quail. And you would walk, and all these quail would kind of like run along the ground, like through the grass, you know, and they'd get down to the other end of the pen. And you'd be walking up there with your net, and then all of a sudden, one would just explode out of there. And all 1,000 of them would explode, and they'd come flying past you in a narrow net, not too tall, not too wide, and just come flying, you're like swinging the net, you know, with a thousand of them coming by you, and you're like, you get done, you're like, I got one, you know, and like, you go back and do that 49 more times, I mean, these things, incredible, and so I don't know what is more miraculous about this story, the fact that God gave two to three million people enough quail, or the fact that they caught them with their bare hands, like, that's pretty remarkable to me, knowing what's going on. But, but God brings in that evening quail, and you're talking, it, it just doesn't work like that. Quail don't covey up in coveys of millions. It's usually like coveys of like 20 or 50. But millions, the hunters are like, this is crazy. That would have been fun, right? Yeah, like, they come in, and the quail just fly into the camp and land, and what it says is people of Israel go out and just quail tonight, you know? And then they, they eat meat to their fill. And God's like, let me give you a side of bread with that, okay? So let's talk about the bread. The morning dew lifts in the morning, and there it is, this bread. And the people walk out, and they go, what is it? And somebody said, that's a good name. It's stuck. And they're like, Let's go pick up some what is it. That was the name. When, when you translate manna, manna in Hebrew literally means what is it. So they just named the bread what is it. Because that's the Bible, right? So they walk around. They're like, I'm going to eat some what is it today. And then maybe a quail. And then that was kind of the food. And so 
Manna translates to, what is it? And so that was the name. And again, this stuff doesn't taste like cardboard. God gave it to them, and it has a sweet taste like honey. And so here we are in the wilderness, and God is providing for them pre-cooked bread that has a taste of honey to it, and quail by the millions. And here's the reality, that despite these great displays of God's goodness, what God had done for them, they missed the who. And how do we know? Because we have the rest of Exodus, and we're going to see that they keep complaining the audacity that they would be led by a pillar, they would eat bread from heaven in the morning and prostitute themselves with foreign women in the afternoon. That they would go and they would eat their bread in the morning and say, you know what, we need a a tangible God. Hey, everybody, bring your gold here and we'll make a calf. This is gonna be your God. Do you understand the audacity? I think there's this, this... this misconception that we have that if, if we could just experience God, if we could just uh, have this sweet what event, then we'd follow him all the days of our lives. And I'm telling you, being in ministry now for 10 years, that is not the case. For most people like that, it's like the waves of an ocean. As fast as those things crash in, they just suck right back out. There's no replacement for this, this steady, consistent pursuit of who God is. Because if you keep being moved by the what's, they just don't last. Not from what I've observed in my short years of ministry, and certainly not what we see with Israel. Does that make sense? And so, wish they would be drawn to who God is. I'm telling you, as we have this text this morning, it reminds me of what we see in John chapter 6. And we'll have these verses on the screen. But in John chapter 6, at the beginning of John 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. Okay, you're t- and he does it with just a few loaves and a couple fish, and he feeds all these people. It continues that after that, he dismisses the disciples. They take off in the boat across the sea. Jesus is like, I better go catch up. So he just walks across water. Again, no small thing. The people, it says in scripture, they wake up and they're like, I don't see Jesus. Must be across the other side. So these people, 5,000 men plus women with children, get in boats and go to the other side. And Jesus knows their hearts. Because they come out to him looking for more bread. And when they found him on the other side, it says in, in John chapter 25, they said, Rabbi, where'd you come from? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Does that make sense? That, that I want to be clear. People can give the perception that they're pursuing God And they're not actually pursuing God. They're just pursuing what God gives, which is true of seemingly all of Israel, which is true of this crowd in John 6. They're not pursuing God. It looks like it. It looks like they're they're heading the same direction, but they're not pursuing God. They just want what God can give. And so Jesus is going to go on to say, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man he will give to you. For on him God the father has set the seal. And they said to him, what must we do to be doing good works of God? And Jesus answered them in verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him 
whom he has sent. So they said to him, oh, sounds good. You understand the context. Like, you need to believe in him. <laughs> They're so caught up with the bread thing. Verse 30, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? I mean, after all, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness that is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Do you understand? They cannot get past this idea of bread. Jesus saying, you want eternal life? I can give eternal life. Hmm, that's, that's, that's pretty good. That's a pretty bold claim. Why don't you show us that you can back it up with some more of that bread from yesterday? It's like, how good was that bread that you can't get your thick skulls past bread to see what Jesus is trying to say here? And Jesus makes it clear over and over in the scripture, but in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What's he saying? What he's saying is, the condition of the human heart is like this. You're going to continue to be hungry. You're going to continue to thirst. You'll never be filled. And what happens is, so how do you solve this condition? So you didn't miss the visual. Jesus, follow me there. Took me a lot of time to think that up. (laughs) In Jesus, in Jesus Christ, we will never hunger and never thirst. And all of a sudden, now to be full, doesn't require this constant blessing of God, like I need more money, God, I need more food, God, I need this, I need this. It's no longer dependent on that. This is those that are in Jesus. This is when you read the New Testament, when you read the book of Acts. You see that Paul, he can be thrown in jail, he can be beaten, he can be shipwrecked, he can be tired and hungry. He's saying, in all things, I've learned contentment. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that, that Christ is fulfilled, that, that Jesus is enough, that if you understand who Jesus is and your life is hidden in him, all of a sudden there's just this contentment. You're, you're full because you understand. And we're going to unpack this a little more, but, but in transparency, here's my challenge. is I, I understand that, but here's, I'm just being honest as a pastor, here's the challenge I have. I understand this, But what happens for me in life, when I start to get distracted, when I stop making time for the Lord, it starts to pull away, right? And all of a sudden it starts to leak out. You don't even have to be like, well, I'm completely separate. No, just just that little bit of separation in this thing, you can't see it, but it just starts to go down. When I'm not making time in the Word, when I'm not seeking after Him, and guys, I... I wish I could say, man, we thought ahead and we did this whole Lent challenge and what? God is gracious and I think it is so fitting this week that we're going to be talking about fasting. The fasting is the discipline for this week and again, it's in your program. But this idea of saying, God, more than we need food, more than we need whatever it is, we need you. And it's saying, instead of seeking after the what, I'm going to seek after you, that I'm going to set us apart these times where I normally spend eating and filling my belly. God, we need you more than we need those things. And I'm telling you, church, that I'm excited to be linked up with the Lord. This idea of, I think this visual is so good in the sense that abiding in Christ, remaining in him, seeking him. And so when we do that, 
Fasting is just one of those ways. And for me, what it's going to look like is, is Tuesday is a day where I'll say, instead of eating, instead of spending those times consuming food, God, I want to spend it in prayer. I want to be linked up with you. So as to say, more than I need food, I need you. Jesus said, not if you fast, but when. And so this discipline, I'm so grateful that on the heels of this hunger that they felt, that we're going to be able to pursue the Lord in that. I'd say it like this, that, that just as God provided manna for the Israelites to save them from starvation, he has provided Jesus Christ for the salvation of our souls. The literal manna temporarily saved their Israelites from physical death. But Jesus, the spiritual manna, saves us from eternal death. What that means is if you got these holes or you know somebody that just can't be filled, the prayer or the, the reaction is not, God, would you pour out more blessing? God, would you do this? But they would receive Jesus, that we would receive Jesus. And, and I think it's so grateful that we celebrate communion together. And what that means is, is Jesus said when he did it with his disciples, he said, take the bread. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take the cup. This is my blood that was shed for you. What we're saying when we take communion, what I'm proposing in this whole scripture where this is pointing us is that we would say, Jesus, more than we need things, we need you to forgive us of our sins. Our trust is in you. And through that, church, that we would have a level of satisfaction that we can never find in the world. Our scripture memory from this week, Luke 9, 24 and 25. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses or forfeits himself? Guys, it's not about taking more in. It's about being found in Jesus and if you learn something from Israel, again, we're going to see this lesson played out over and over again. It's just apart from God, there is no satisfaction. And I'm not just talking to those that don't trust God yet. I'm talking to you, Christian, that, that says and claims you're in God. I'm saying there should be a level of satisfaction and contentment that comes with that claim. What I'd say is repent, make that known, and receive communion together. I'm going to invite the band up, and I'm going to give us an opportunity to pray. If you would, just bow your heads. Father, we do. We want you to be our fill. Jesus, thank you that you've come, that, that, that you are enough. You said that I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God, you have made a way. And Lord, we don't want to try and amass the whole world yet, lose and forfeit our soul. And we want to have life and life to the fullest. And we just acknowledge as a church that it's through you. It's in you. It's, it's, it's being content with you that we have hope, that we have peace, that we have joy. Lord, would you remind us of that this morning? And for those that don't know the hope and the peace and the joy that is in you, Lord, would you give them that today? Lord, would you bring us back to who you are? Not what it is that you can do for us.